Yo, when you said critical thought, Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5M trying to wash your mind And you know they lying Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5M trying to wash your mind And you know they lying Greetings and welcome to the Critical Thought Podcast Where I give you my unsolicited narrative on the mainstream media And try to read between the lines Warning if you have an enlarged amygdala, proceed with caution. I also know that you get revolutionary change when people can't eat, when the supply chains break down and you can't deliver food, when they can't afford to buy the food, when they can't afford to buy the gasoline. These things are the catalysts for real change. Greetings and welcome to episode 6 of the Critical Thought Podcast. When I was, like in high school, I heard there was a hole in the ozone layer and this hole was getting bigger yearly and like we were in danger because of this hole in the ozone layer. Now I don't know whatever happened to the hole in the ozone layer but it must have fixed itself or it stopped getting bigger or there was never a hole to begin with. I thought about that because this next story that's coming up is about climate change. And essentially, M5M, the legacy media, is going to try to convince us that climate change is going to cause a food shortage. But things are just too well coordinated to be a coincidence, in my opinion. American consumers, oh, they could soon see higher prices on many of the things we buy, due in part to major shipping delays over at the Panama Canal. ABC's Alexis Christophers is here now to explain that backlog. Good morning, Alexis. Good morning, Gio. This is fresh evidence of the impact climate change is having on global business and trade. The Panama Canal is one of the world's most important trading routes, and it's in desperate need of water. The canal is going through its driest spell in more than a century as El Nino brings higher temperatures and less rain. The drought is squeezing global supply chains, and that could mean higher prices and less choice for consumers just in time for the holidays. The lack of rain is forcing the waterways authorities to reduce the number of ships passing through the canal. Those that do must carry less cargo to conserve water. The result? A major traffic jam. More than 200 ships are currently waiting to cross the canal, much more than the usual... This sounds very much like what was happening um, during COVID where ships were just not able to get stuff off and there was a little bit of a panic in the grocery stores and all of this. It seemed very similar to that playbook and it sounds like that's what they're doing again here. Now, India stopped exporting rice the other day because they say they have a shortage and they need to supply their local market before they export any rice. Then the grain deal fell apart somehow and now ships with stuff can't get into port. Too much happening at the same time for it to be coincidence. Through the canal, those that do must carry less cargo to conserve water. The result, a major traffic jam. More than 200 ships are currently waiting to cross the canal, much more than the usual 90 vessels. And the wait time to get through, now up to three weeks. That's delaying tens of billions of dollars in goods. Everything from oil and gas to furniture and appliances. 
40% of all U.S. container traffic flows through the Panama Canal. If the drought and the delays continue, experts tell us they could spark another surge in inflation just as consumer prices are starting to cool. We're already in a recession and we've been in a recession for a little while now, but legacy media still don't want to call it what it is. It's everything but a recession. Meanwhile, up in Canada, they're trying to um, press Daniel Smith, Premier of Alberta, and they're, they're trying to, this reporter is trying to corner her and get her to admit that climate change is responsible for the wildfires that, are, that were ravaging Alberta. We are having this discussion, of course, at a time when there are critical conversations around the world on climate change. Much of the country, including your province, has been ravaged by wildfires this season. Do you believe there is a connection to climate change? Well, look, everybody is on target on 2050. That was decided a couple of years ago at COP26. And so all of the industrialized provinces are moving in that direction for exactly that reason. Everybody knows that we need to, to reduce emissions. But I'm... <laughs> she sounds so cynical when she talks about um, 2050, the date that was set. And she says, everybody knows that we have to do something by 2050. It was agreed upon. It kind of sound like a dig at the WEF because the WEF and the globalists are really behind most of these most of these ideas in terms of a green new world that sound good on the outside, but when you get to the core of it, they don't really have the interests of regular people at heart. Quite the opposite, actually. But I'm also watching that China is um, a, a billion plus population. They don't have a target until 2060. India, as I understand it, doesn't have a target until 2070. But in terms of a link, Premier, do you believe that climate change and the unprecedented wildfires we've been seeing this summer are at all related? All, all I know is in my province, uh, we had 650 fires and 500 of them were human caused. 500 of them were human caused. So we have to make sure that when people know that when it's dry out there and we get into forest fire season that they're being a lot more careful because anytime you end up with an ignition that happens, it can have devastating consequences. And so that's uh, what I would hope that we can, we can educate the public on that front as well. So essentially what the Premier is saying is that people are starting these fires. She didn't go as far as to say who is starting the fires, but the statistic she gave was out of the 650 fires that were blazing out of control in Alberta, 500 were started by people. Now, who the people are, that's up to you to decide if you were on Instagram or TikTok perhaps and you were in Canada you would have seen all kinds of auspicious videos of people dumping some flammable substance from helicopters and all kinds of different things, right? So who knows who started these fires? The point is that 500 of them were started by people. There is no relief for the residents of Yellowknife. Despite the best efforts of local firefighters to contain the blazes and help from the central government in Ottawa, the situation is now almost a lost cause. And it's not much better in British Columbia. Officials there say the intensity of the blazes hasn't waned and the number of people evacuating is rising by the hour. The situation is highly dynamic and the numbers are changing all of the time. But as of now, we are currently hovering at about 30,000 people on evacuation order and an additional 36,000 people on evacuation alert. 
The city of Kelowna is the hardest hit, with thousands of homes already lost to the flames. Officials say the intensity of the fire can be measured by the fact that on Friday, flames ripped through more than 20 kilometers of land in just 12 hours. The inferno has also destroyed infrastructure across British Columbia, partially shutting some sections of a key highway between the Pacific coast and the rest of Western Canada. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has already ordered the deployment of military units and helicopters to combat the fires. Military units. He's also pledged the central government will provide necessary assistance to help local communities get back on their feet. Right now, though, officials in the Northern Territories and British Columbia say the situation is grim and many more could be displaced before the blazes are finally brought under control. Like, these fires are being blamed on climate change, but it just, again, when, when too many things happen in conjunction with each other, it's hard for you to look on all of those things and say that it's a coincidence. And then you have to resort to Occam's razor as well. What is the most likely of things that may have caused this to happen? So, like, we don't even have to go that far back. Let's just go back to the year of, of COVID, the, the two years of COVID, 2020 specifically. I don't remember fires blazing out of control in 2020 or 2021. I don't remember people crying about climate change like they are now so basically if we're to believe what we're hearing the climate change has been so extraordinary in the past three years that everything is just spontaneously combusting all over the world at the same time that's one way you could look on it or you could look on it this way people haven't really been noticing that much of a change in the climate over the past two years the news is telling us that people have been noticing the change, but I don't really hear anybody complaining about the change. So maybe it's more like this is a coordinated effort and that's why it's happening at all these places at the same time. As for the fires in Maui, if you listen closely, you'll hear rumblings of climate change as well being the cause for these fires. And you know, climate change just might be the cause, just not in the way that you think. The utility companies have been cutting back on the budget for and, and the, the areas of government that are responsible for wildlife management have been cutting back on the budget to deal with like proper burning and stuff to keep grasslands under control. And that's all over the place. That They've done it in California, they've done it in BC, all these places where these fires are now burning. If they were managing the land properly, the fires wouldn't be able to jump like they've been able to jump. They would have had areas where controlled burns would have been done. They would have had better management of these fires had they been managing the land properly. It's ultimately what this guy is saying. The state uh, failed to put in place uh, the actual uh, forest management policy that would have actually reduced the amount of brush, the amount of uh, consumable uh, fuel that was, is important for a massive wildfire to take place. Uh, especially in the last few years as, as the sugarcane industry has dried up and grass has come in, uh, those policies need to be put in place years ago. and They really failed to do that, which caused these huge fires. Do you have any sense of why those policies weren't implemented, as you say? 
I think unfortunately one of the huge uh, pushes uh, in Hawaii was to go to go green, which was to go renewable. Uh, there was actually legislation. The Hawaii legislator legislature mandated that uh, the Hawaiian Electric would have to go 100% renewable by 2045. So the green initiatives that they're pushing, you know, what I mean, all of these initiatives are in some way, shape, or form contributing to what's happening right now. And these are all globalist initiatives. Like all of these initiatives you can find the UN and the WEF talking about. So of course the utility company decided to invest all of its resources uh, into going green into those renewables instead of uh, uh, wildfire management. In fact, in the last... So because they were incentivized to go green, they put most of their budget towards this green initiative and then ignored the thing that was most important in terms of fire mitigation and then they tried to blame the fires on climate change at the end of the day. Utility company decided to invest all of its resources uh, into going green into those renewables instead of uh, uh, wildfire management. In fact, in the last uh, three years, they only invested uh, just under $250,000 in uh, forest management in uh, a wildfire prevention, which of course is very much undercutting, which was, I think, a, a risk that they had been warned about for years in the state that this could be this is, could be what happens. So these guys were warned over and over again that if we don't start managing the land and taking these mitigations into consideration, then we're probably gonna we're gonna we're gonna end up in a situation where we're gonna have fires that we cannot control. Distraction. Now must deal with uh, the fact that they have many forests that are and, and, and grass plants that are out of control and, and causing these huge fires. Jarrett Setman, columnist for the Daily Signal and author of The War on History: The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past. Thank you so much. Yo, brother. I hope you still have a job after this. So the bricks. Um, nations have gained some more members, some interesting members at that. And to me, this is an obvious transition of power in motion right now. And most of the Western world don't seem to be very aware of what's going on. I mean, if we take a, a I don't know, maybe a 10 year to 20 year horizon, time horizon, BRICS will be rivaling, if not already surpassed, the G8 or G7, whatever they call themselves at the moment, these first world developed countries. The, the BRICS nations are going to be the next world powers. Leaders of the BRICS alliance of five nations have invited another six countries to join. They are Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, 
Iran, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. The annual BRICS summit is being held in Johannesburg. The leaders of Brazil, India, China and South Africa are there, while Russia's president is on video link from Moscow. The South African president made the expansion announcement. We have decided to invite the Argentine Republic, the Arab Republic of Egypt, the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia, the Islamic Republic of Iran, the Kingdom Iran of Saudi is Arabia, one. and the United Arab Emirates to become full members of BRICS, the membership will take effect from the 1st of January 2024. So they add Saudi Arabia, which is a lot of financial influence and, and money coming into the, to the system. I think, I don't know if they added Indonesia, but they did also add other African countries. And then these African countries on their own, within the continent, they're trying to unify themselves as well. So there's going to be a high influx or African um, influence within BRICS at some point in time in the next 10 to 20 years. And at the same time is a diminishing return game for the US influence in Africa. So there's definitely a, a power shift taking place and Africa is crucial to that shift in power right now. Um, it looks like China was very, very keen to expand BRICS. In fact, the Chinese foreign minister, spoke, foreign ministry spokesperson said it's going to breathe new vitality into the bloc for sure it will but the choice is very interesting so we have argentina so more, more representation from south america egypt ethiopia african continent ethiopia was i think a little bit unexpected well i don't know if ethiopia was necessarily unexpected because i think it was in last week's episode or maybe two weeks ago um there was a conference that was going on in africa again it wasn't on mainstream news it wasn't on the legacy media but there was a conference in africa where the Ethiopian Prime Minister was addressing um, Putin and, and his, his boys and basically was saying that, you know what I mean, there needs to be some kind of plan and there needs to be some coming together and some union to, to break up the hegemony of the, the, Western, the Western nations. So it's not that much of a surprise. Representation from South America, Egypt, Ethiopia, African continent. Ethiopia was, I think, a little bit unexpected. Uh, Iran, I have a suspicion there might have been some Russian maneuvering behind that. They're close allies. And then Saudi Arabia and UAE, that, uh, that uh, signals to me more cash infusion into the mm. development bank. Uh, missing there was uh, Indonesia and Mexico. We were expecting them and to Indonesia come in as well. also is an important one. I'm surprised that they didn't um, include Indonesia because Indonesia is a huge economy. I believe it's the fourth. Um, largest population in the world I think at this point and it's a huge economy especially when it comes to tech so it would be smart for them to scoop up um, Indonesia and have minerals and natural resources in Africa have tech booming tech coming out of like um, potentially Taiwan if China um, regains control of Taiwan and then Indonesia as well so is just something to watch. The BRICS is definitely setting themselves up as a formidable foe on the world scene. And you can't ignore the moves that they're making. Indonesia and Mexico, we were expecting them to come in as well. We've 
repeatedly heard from the existing leadership of BRICS that this is about unity, it's about the Global South, greater representation, uh, but this comes amidst heightening global tensions. While BRICS may be uh, forming a more solid bloc globally, are there concerns around greater uh, fragmentation? Oh, absolutely. Uh, a couple of quick things. Uh, one is we're seeing the deterioration of these multilateral for G7, G20, uh, APEC even, watered down communiques or none whatsoever. At least here they managed to come up with a, quite a big announcement about the expansion. But when you see um, countries like Iran coming in, and also you listen to the rhetoric coming out of the conference, for example, from people like Mr. Lula of Brazil, uh, a lot of talk here about uh, not using the U.S. dollar anymore, uh, leveling the playing field for African countries. You see quite the fragmentation. I think, just quickly, I think it's got to the point where good luck to America trying to uh, win back the loyalty of some of these African countries, I think. I say, so that speak exactly to the point that I'm making. It's like there's this transition of power that is taking place and it's, it's happening very quietly with other things taking up the attention of um the the news cycle you know what i mean there's all kinds of other things in america who knows what you're gonna see on the news it's like you might see covid one week you might see ozempic the next week you never know what you're gonna see on the news in america but i think a lot of other places in the world the whole um ukraine russia deal is taking up a lot of the news cycle space as well but this is happening I think, just quickly, I think it's got to the point where good luck to America trying to uh, win back the loyalty of some of these African countries. I think a lot of them are shifting more towards this direction. Just very quickly, do these countries have enough in common for BRICS to be effective? I don't think so. Uh, when you look at China, uh, India, especially Russia, now Iran, uh, Brazil, Lula from Brazil, again, he's very contrarian in saying what he wants to see. Very, very strong on climate. Good luck convincing the Russians and the Chinese and, in fact, India to adhere to those high climate standards. You can kind of look on BRICS like a startup, you know what I mean? A company at startup phase and they're, they're going through the early rounds of, of fundraising and you don't want to scale too quick. You don't want to expand too fast and, and have a bubble. You don't want to expand too quickly and create a bubble and have it implode. So they have to be strategic with how they expand bricks and be very strategic with the countries that they let into bricks. But I do know that Africa is going to play a crucial role. Africa is the crux of this whole thing just because of the the size of the continent and the potential of the continent. Just think about this. In in Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, these guys are controlling the weather, right? And they're able to turn places that were once desert green. What's going to happen when they start doing that on the continent on a wide scale? Meanwhile, in Niger, or Niger, as the Europeans would call it, the French are ignoring a 24-hour mandate that was given to them by the militants to leave the country. The French have chose to ignore this uh, mandate. Now, why they don't just leave the people in country, I don't know, but they've chosen to ignore this mandate, knowing full well that the militants said they would storm the compound if the French decided to stay. And that's exactly how this thing turned into a, a full-blown boots-on-the-ground type of international conflict in Niger.
military rulers who overthrew the democratically elected President Mohamed Bazoum in late July have now ordered France's envoy to Niger to leave. The junta accuses France of intending to mount a military intervention, saying that the West African bloc ECOWAS was doing Paris's bidding. The competent Nigerian authorities have decided to withdraw their approval from Mr. Sylvain Ité and to ask him to leave Nigerian territory within 48 hours. The French government, not recognizing the junta as the legitimate rulers of Niger, has refused the request and its ambassador is not inclined yet to leave Niamey. Until then, kill him. And then there's a problem. That the ambassador was accredited by the elected, legitimate, and legal president of Niger. In addition to normally, the when there's States some kind of coup in a country, diplomats normally, when there's a coup in a country, the diplomats try to get out of there ASAP, right? The military come in and, and fly the diplomats out. Why is this guy saying that he, he doesn't want to leave? He wants to stay in. This country where there's a coup taking place, the militants have overthrown the government that um, gave him his position, and he wants to stay. Behind the anti-tank barriers, a line of Nigerian soldiers guard the French military base. This is what they face, hundreds of protesters in the capital, Naomi, threatening to storm the site if troops don't depart the former colony within a week. Oh, I said 24 hours, it's actually a week. It's a carnival atmosphere here exactly a month since the democratic government was toppled. The new rulers only allow rallies supporting the junta. Focus on fighting the terrorist threat from Islamist militants. A different demand came via the weekend state TV news, broadcasting an official letter from the regime to Niger's ambassador to France, ordering him to leave the country by Sunday night, accusing him of refusing an invite to meet his new bosses. I want to talk about Russia for a little bit. A couple of weeks ago, I stopped myself short of saying that um, Prigozhin wasn't even a real character. You know what I mean? I was about to say that and I was like, right, that might be a little bit over the top. And I'm not saying that Prigozhin is not a real person. I'm just saying that who they present him as, that character, I think it's a made-up character for him to play out. Like this guy go from being supposedly a hot dog vendor to being head of security for Putin to then having his own militia group and this meteoric rise with what background? You know what I mean? The hot dog guy. And the Kremlin has categorically denied rumors of its involvement in the plane crash in which Wagner boss Evgeny Prigozhin is presumed to have died. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov described the accusations as an absolute lie. Moscow hasn't officially confirmed Prigozhin's death and says it's waiting for test results. Aviation authorities say the leader of the Russian mercenary group was listed as a passenger on the private jet that crashed near Moscow on Wednesday. The incident happened two months to the day after Prigozhin led a failed revolt on Moscow and sparked suspicions of a Kremlin assassination. <laughs> Russian President Vladimir Putin broke his silence on Thursday, offering his condolences to I don't think this guy's dead. Russian investigators have recovered flight recorders and 10 bodies from the crash site. I actually wouldn't be surprised if this turned out to be just some kind of a distraction. Some news story that they, they harp on for a couple of days to keep it distracted from something else that's going on. I just don't. Why is this even news? And you know, as it relates to the whole Ukraine, Russia, 
specifically the footage that has been um, on TikTok and some other platforms. I have a friend of mine that tell me that told me about this um, thing called the war games that Ukraine has been um, engaging in since around 2000 and I don't know if it's 12 or 12 or 14. But these 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 Ukrainian families that have this um, event and there's prize money up and it's mercenaries that go out and have real life war games and people that die are really dying and they do it for prize money and apparently at the end of the week all these people that were killing each other they come together there's a concert and now i haven't been able to find any real information on this but this could explain where a lot of this footage is coming from because you would think that with all of this footage that you see on like tiktok and and instagram of all these ukrainian and russian soldiers dying on a daily you would think this war would be over already with that the death count being as high as it is but it isn't it's still going even with all the money that the eu and the united states is pumping into ukraine and the fact that russia has been cut off from the swift banking system how is this war still going anyways i said all of that to say that the footage that's coming in might actually be from these quote-unquote war games and again i don't know if the war games exist or not but if they do it's something to look into yeah i know i'm lamenting and i'm i'm stretching out this point you're probably like move on to the next clip already but another another note is like watching this um report the visuals of it i would say that the russian police response is the best in the world it would have to be i mean how else you gonna explain the amount of police presence and the time that they had to erect yellow tape just minutes after this jet crash how them reach this a fast eg5 the new variant about two two weeks ago i started um playing the the news reports of this new variant because it was really heavy in the news cycle and i believe last week's episode episode five i did a segment that was probably too long on covid so i'll make this one not as long <laughs> but this week we're gonna hear from dr naomi wolf and her perspective is more in line of what I was saying last week, so let's listen. What's creepy about this sudden everywhere um, narrative that there's a new variant in town, uh, it's not your last variant. You need a whole new thing to deal with the new variant. Um, and if you read these news articles carefully, and they all read like they were generated by AI, that basically admitted there, there really isn't a spike uh -huh. and didn't come up with no numbers. Real numbers. They said something like there are two new cases per 100,000, and they referenced a community that has only 22,000 inhabitants in it. So they're imaginary numbers. And again, you can't check them. You're not allowed to see the data sets. You can't verify this claim that there's an uptick. But what we're just supposed uptick? to believe that How there's an uptick. An uptick? Um, you know, the uptick is the theme music before what comes later, which is the surge. How do you define a surge? You can't check uh -huh. any of these claims that there's a new variant in town. No, um, you can't. We're just supposed to trust the science like we were supposed to trust the science during the height of COVID in 2020 as well. So this is going to come back to this trust the science argument. And I need to find a clip with... um. Oh my God, what's his name? Alex Jones. 
where he's talking about the timeline for this as well. So I think I'll look for that clip and probably play it after this one. It gives the theme music before what comes later, which is the surge. How do you define a surge? You can't check any of these claims that there's a new variant in town um, that's different from the old variant. You just have to take their word for it. But what is very notable is that in June, an FDA panel, I just want to remind you, and this is via the brilliant and amazing Amy Kelly, in June, an FDA panel unanimously voted to recommend that the next round of vaccination in the U.S. be approved. So these vaccinations aren't approved yet, but the committee that recommends vaccines to the FDA for approval has already recommended them, and they're expected to be approved by the FDA and available just in time for the next flu season. Month. So you've yeah, got man. one month if you're marketing this new product <laughs> to whip up fears that will then drive people to take this new, untested, untried um, product into their bodies. I couldn't have said it better myself, Doctor Wolf. Please tell me some more. As someone who looked at the you know for over a year now at the devastation and bad math and cheating in the Pfizer documents and the harms caused and the the lack of trials um, that proved that these were harmless let alone effective we don't have those trials for this new injection and this is not just Moderna and Pfizer we didn't have the trials for the first injections either but also Novavax um, so I hope everyone listening is really skeptical, does their due diligence, thinks about the fact that we haven't seen any real double-blind trials, scientific trials, showing that... And that's that's par for the course, because again, the first time around, there were no double-blind trials that never isolated the virus. None of that stuff was done. But they managed to whip everybody into a frenzy. And the same people that got the vaccine the last time, a vast majority of them are going to come back and be the people again leading this whole hysteria. This new formulation, and remember we've done a lot of reporting on the problems with formulations, the fact that Pfizer's formulations are in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. Do you want them formulating what's in the Eris variant? Right. She said uh, Pfizer's formulation is in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. And last week's episode, we spoke about how some of these Chinese organizations are paying off bigwigs within the NIH. So now we hear that they're also having money go between these organizations and these pharmaceutical companies as well. Booster, um you know, all of the work that Brooke Jackson has done, the whistleblower about contaminants and bad practices at Ventavia, which had been bottling and packaging these injections. We have no reason to believe that all of those problems have been fixed. Um, so I guess I just want to say to everyone, I am not a doctor, but, you know, looking at the history of these companies, certainly Pfizer and Moderna, um, this is a very dangerous thing to trust your body or your loved one's bodies to. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh -huh. Well, big pharma. Alright, so I'm going to play this uh, Alex Jones clip real quick. And um, we can... I don't know if there's going to be much to dissect because Alex Jones has been right a lot. He's also been wrong, but he's been right a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, I got a call yesterday. An individual was in town and they wanted to meet with me that I know well. And they are a high level man. 
manager in the TSA. And I went and met with them and had a cup of coffee with them. And they said, you got to warn people. Tuesday, we got called in, the managers, and told that by the middle of September, that the new policy is being written, that this is done. They were told this is happening. This is not hypothetical. You all have to wear masks again, and so will airport employees. Then, by the middle of October, they are going to say that everyone flying has to wear a mask. And in the meetings, people began to ask them, well, I mean, why is this happening? They said, well, because of the new variant in Canada, and because of the WHO, they may, you know, declare this. But regardless, we've been told this is going to happen. And then they were told, we expect by... December, a return to the full COVID protocol of 2020-2021. We do not have to sit here and take is, if the this same is criminal true UN global WAF New World Order regime's second rollout of lockdown. If this is true, it is going to be really interesting to see how people respond to this push. Because the first push was a test. It was a test to see how much people would take. It was a test to see how many people would fold. It was a test to see what the people that didn't fold, how far they were willing to push back. So it was a big social experiment. And to me, it's going to be really interesting to see how people are going to react this time. And in some ways, I'm expecting the people that conformed the last time, a vast majority of them are going to conform again and they're going to double down on their confirmation. Like they're going to really go hard at it. And I think that's what the that's what the system is hoping for. But my area of interest really comes to the people that didn't fall for this the last time, that didn't fall the last time. How are those people going to react this time around? Is there going to be more resistance? Is there going to be more... Is there going to be more pushback? And I know that there are some people that were on the line last time or people that might have been down for the whole movement, got the vaccine and then decided that it wasn't a good idea afterwards. How are those people going to respond? Because those people are probably going to be the ones pushing the hardest. A new COVID-19 variant is spreading quickly throughout the United States and the World Health Organization says EG.5 poses a similar level of global risk as existing variants. COVID hospitalizations jumped more than 14% in the most recent week and it's responsible for about 17% of new COVID cases. EG.5, which now makes up more than 20% of new cases. So if there's one thing mainstream media can't do is they can't decide on the numbers. Is it 14%, 17%, 20%? The one thing that is happening is that that number is increasing. 14, 17, 20. So they're ramping up. And let me just jump back to another clip of Alex Jones breaking down the timeline in a little bit more succinct manner. An exclusive Biden administration preparing to bring back full COVID restrictions roll out to begin mid-September. First, they'll make TSA wear the mask at Border Patrol. Then they told them in October, they're going to go back to the airlines and anybody flying. And then it'll be, oh, the concert's canceled, or the, you can't come in the store without it. And, oh, we need to give you these shots, and we'll take the restrictions off when you submit it. Oh, you're staying at home, we're going to send you a check from the government that further destroys the economy. And look at some of these other headlines. CDC tracking new lineage of virus that causes COVID. Yeah, it's not the COVID illness from the shot. The World Public Health Agencies are tracking a highly mutated strain. Really, it's funny, you know, all the people that are getting COVID right now are 
I shouldn't say all because I don't know that, but it seems as if most of the people getting the virus right now are people that got vaccinated a couple of years ago, a year ago, whatever the case might be. Here's the causes of COVID-19. The newly discovered strain, referred to as BA-2.86, has been designated as a variant under monitoring by the World Health Organization. See how the UN's your boss with their new treaty? Due to the large number of mutations it carries, more data are needed to understand the COVID-19 variant and the extent of its spread. But the number of mutations warrants attention. WHO will update countries and the public as we learn more. The WHO wrote on social media that all their talking heads come out and new variants spreads across the world. What we know so far, CNBC. <laughs> all you know about the COVID-19 causing news. What we know so far. It's the same old thing. USN's last COVID travel barrier, but they're trying to bring it back. What's there COVID to know? The thing is not as strong as they say it is. It's not as um, contagious as they say it is. It don't kill as many people as they say it does. They've been saying on these um, news reports that it's not as, as dangerous as any other or more dangerous than any other variant. But still, somehow, they're trying to whip people up into a frenzy. Mask her back. I've got a whole stack of news here. I'm going to show you. Here comes the real deal. Oh, they had all those other scary names. Scientists raise alarm over new COVID variant and call for return to face masks. Daily Mail. Scientists uh -huh. call for people to start wearing COVID masks again as they sound alarm. They need to create the fear. People are going to push back big time with this masking. Daily Mail. Scientists call for people to start wearing COVID masks again as they sound alarm. They need to create the fear and see the mask everywhere. Over a new variant of BA-6 has a lot of new mutations. Scientists call for Brits to wear masks again due to startling new COVID variant. Harris has scientists demanding mask return. Urgent Just in time for the 2024 election new campaign. Variant. New mysterious COVID strains. These experts call for plunge Britain back into restrictions. And then it all starts over again. Are you an idiot? Are you going to roll over <laughs> to the same scam again? Do you have a memory? Do you remember what they did? So this kind of go with what I was saying last week. The way that they're rolling out this testing stuff now, right? They have Bio... I forget the name of the company. That is testing for COVID strains and they're testing it through wastewater and... I don't even believe that they can really do it, but they just need people to believe that they can do it. And if they convince the people that they can test through this, this type of testing, then all they're going to do is close the election time in the states that are red where people would be voting for Republicans. Those states are going to be heavily impacted by COVID. So here is further evidence that they really have no intention of ending this conflict in the Ukraine anytime soon. It's the jet everyone seems to be talking about. We should sell them the F-16 jets. Ukrainian F-16 pilots. The F-16. F-16s. F-16s. F-16. Ukrainian officials thought they'd have pilots training on American-made F-16s by now, but it has not happened yet. A spokesperson with Ukraine's Air Force says the first group of pilots will begin training in Denmark, but that training might not be complete before summer 2024, according to a U.S. So official. So we have at least till then for the war to continue. Of anonymity, saying Ukraine only recently submitted names of pilots who will undergo training, and over half need English language training first. So, let's get this straight. 
these guys are gonna have to take English language training first and then it's gonna take them at least another year to learn how to fly these planes. So we're looking on well at least with this schedule another two to three years of war. Russia says its air defense systems shot down another Ukrainian drone in Moscow. Fragments fell near a major convention center about three miles from the Kremlin. Many are wondering how F-16s will impact the battlefield, but fighter jets aren't the only advanced military equipment heading Ukraine's way. Ukraine just received two air defense systems from Germany, and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky thanked Germany for the equipment. One thing is definitely becoming more evident. The conflict in Africa is definitely not going to kick off until the current conflict in Ukraine and Russia comes to an end. Now, is this Russia and some of these other BRICS countries way of distracting the European nations and um, the US and taking their attention away from Africa while they build and set foundations and get strongholds in Africa? At the very least, it's food for thought. Alright, and now for my favorite segment of the show, mental gymnastics where we just jump into topics that are off the beaten path and i personally find interesting and we're going to kick it off this week with um ai ai helping a woman that uh had previously lost her ability to speak due to a stroke and now she's able to speak for the first time in how many years and this is how they get you you know this is this is how it starts they the sink the the emotional hooks in you know ai is helping this lady regain her speech and to be able to communicate with her family and it's so benevolent until it isn't we turn now to a breakthrough helping a paralyzed woman speak again it's all thanks to artificial intelligence here's abc's allison kosick for 18 years ann johnson hasn't said one word until now when she was 30 years old, married with kids, and had a paralyzing stroke while playing volleyball, robbing her of... And look, I'm not anti-tech in the least. I'm all for tech. I'm just for conscious use of tech. Married with kids, and had a paralyzing stroke while playing volleyball, robbing her of an ability to communicate other than using a letter board. Now, artificial intelligence has helped give Anne her voice back. You are truly wonderful people. And for the first time in a long time, she spoke with her husband, Bill. A clip from her wedding video to kind of restore her voice the way it sounded. A team of doctors and researchers at the University of California, San Francisco and UC Berkeley discovered a way to use Anne's brain signals and translate them into words. Use you know, I'm not sure how far along Elon Musk is with the Neuralink thing, but this kind of is an interesting perspective when you realize that this sets precedence now and has pretty much opened the gate for Neuralink to come in on a large scale basis. Using artificial intelligence. We have electrodes that sit on the surface of Anne's brain when she tries to move her mouth as if she was saying a word or a sentence. We decode that activity into sounds and the avatar movements that correspond to the movements that she would have tried to make. Metzger says it's the recent advances in AI that led them to the ability to synthesize speech with the avatar. 
And like I said, you know, I'm not anti-tech, I'm not anti-science, I'm not anti-any kind of advancements like that because really it's just a tool. It's the hands of the people that the tool is in that determine how the tool is going to be used. So I'm not anti-tech at all. There's things like helping people to walk again, helping people to speak, see, hear, whatever. All these things that, that enhance human life, I'm for it. But there's a whole host of other things that are going to come with this that there needs to be some kind of boundary drawn. There needs to be some regulations that control how far people can and can't go in the use of some of this technology. So most Americans either won't admit or they're not aware of how bad things are. This is Colonel Douglas McGregor and he's going to be sharing his insights on what he thinks is going on in the US politically and from a socio-economical standpoint and what he thinks is going to cause a revolution. I also know that you get revolutionary change when people can't eat, when the supply chains break down and you can't deliver food, when they can't afford to buy the food, when they can't afford to buy the gasoline. These things are the catalysts for real change. So it sound like it sound like Hegelian dialectic problem reaction solution. Because he's telling you that what's gonna cause the catalyst for real change is when people can't eat, when the supply chains break down. So this is kinda a warning in a sense. This is what's gonna happen. I don't think we'll ever get to the twenty twenty four election. I think things are going to implode in Washington before that. I think our economic financial condition is fragile. It's going to come home to roost in ugly ways. Now, I will tell you, I don't know exactly how it will happen. I think we're going to end up in a situation where we find out the banks are closed for two or three weeks and nobody can get into them. Do you think so? And it would make perfect sense because COVID was a test run to all of this. So COVID was two years of on and off lockdowns and um, limiting food supplies and all of this stuff. So yeah it, it seems very plausible that the government could push for f tighter infringements the next time something comes around i also think that the levels of violence and criminality in our cities is so high that it, it's going to spill over into other places in society people that normally think they can live remote from the problem are now beginning to be touched by the problem then i look at this thing in ukraine i think ukraine is going to lose catastrophically it's going to be a collapse and that too is going to have an effect here at home because people are going to say well, wait a minute everybody told us ukraine was winning everybody told us x y and z i mean sort of the, the russian hoax on steroids all of Perhaps those things are. are going to come together or converge in some way that's going to prevent us from reaching you know the status quo so what you're saying to me is eminently plausible because i don't think biden will make it through the year i think he'll be gone and I think everybody knows that this person, uh, Kamala Harris, lacks the ability under any circumstances to be president of the United States. And I agree with that sentiment, and I've shared that on previous episodes as well. I don't think Biden is going to make it to the end of this term. And if he does, they're definitely not going to allow him to run next term. That's for sure. He's just not fit. He's compromised. I just don't think it's the... It's not a good look for the United States to have the leader of the free world be this imbecile. Under any circumstances to be president of the United States. When you say gone, I mean passing away because of his yeah. age or 
merely being incapable and finally being what is that what do they call it 25th amendment or whatever it is shuffled off the stage this clip is from the pdb podcast by the way Of its Everyone own. who can leave that has any talent, ability, or understanding is leaving. Businesses are leaving. No one wants to be there. So what are you going to end up with? A very small minority of very wealthy people and millions of poor people. Most of whom don't even don't even consider themselves to be Americans. So that's that's the dream world for the left, California. Yeah. I don't think we'll tolerate that. So I don't think it'll ever get that far on the national level. So no, here comes the revolution. But I don't think we're that complacent. I also know that you get revolutionary change when people can't eat. Alright, so it looks like I could be wrong. Like my thesis was definitely that um Bobby Kennedy was in play and he was gonna be the the front runner, but now it looked like the the Democratic Party doing to him what they did to Bernie, they're giving him the spotlight right now to pull some attention from those Republican voters that might be on the fence. Now listen, we all know votes don't count for shit, but this is the game that's being played. These are the optics. So he's there to fish those votes from the Republican voters that are on the fence, but he's never going to get the green light. From what Colonel McGregor is saying, it seems like Gavin Newsom is going to be the poster boy for the Democrats. So this next story is about a teacher that got fired for reading a book that was no longer on the curriculum. Now I don't know about this particular teacher but some of them take it to another level with the entitlement they feel in terms of telling you how you should raise your child. Well now to the teacher in Georgia who was fired over a book. The Cobb County School Board in suburban Atlanta voted 4-3 to three to... First things first, she was fired over a book. That's very peculiar wording. Four to three to fire Katie Renderly. The school says she improperly read a book on gender identity to her fifth grade class. She so she getting fired because she improperly read the book to her fifth grade class? Or is she getting fired because she read a book she wasn't supposed to be reading? She's believed to be the first teacher fired in Georgia in relation to a new law that puts restrictions on teachers. The district said that they are pleased with the decision. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but is this law putting restrictions on teachers or is it restricting the type of literature that's read in the classroom to these five-year-olds? You know, it's come to my attention how compliant the Commonwealth has been with all of these new rules that have been rolled out since, especially since COVID, all these rules that restrict people, for lack of a better term. And in Australia, they're telling us how they're about to go cashless. And it just strikes me that they're going to be doing this soon in Canada as well. Australia is slowly shifting towards being cash-free. More than a billion dollars worth of notes have disappeared from circulation in the past 12 months. It follows the Commonwealth Bank's decision to start trialling cashless branches across Sydney. Economists say a cashless society will hurt criminals on the black market. Oh, yeah, right. But will, life, will make life more difficult for the elderly That's to rely it. on that, that's it that's why we're going cashless we're going cashless because it's gonna make life harder for the criminals on the black market 
my advice only keep the cash that you absolutely need to keep in the bank keep as much cash as possible get some gold if you can and think critically and that's where we'll end this week's episode of the critical thought podcast i hope you found it insightful and you found it informative join us next week for episode number seven yo when you said critical thought Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5, M5, trying to watch your mind And you know they line Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5, M5, trying to watch your mind And you know they line